Well, good afternoon, everyone. Certainly a real privilege to be here, uh, even though I did have to travel in time to get here. Uh, but uh, what a great privilege it is to be able to speak to all of you here in Charlotte. And uh, yet it is about five o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning for me, and it's actually a beautiful time of the year, springtime. In fact, uh, in Australia, as you know, it's, it's spring. So although you're having your, your autumn, uh, which is a beautiful time as well, but we're, we're ahead of you in that sense. Uh, so we're already celebrating our springtime. So it is, uh, it, is, it is an interesting thing, though, to travel uh, that far around the world and then um, not sleep uh, and then uh, come here and to be uh, able to speak to you. And so if I slur some of my words, uh, if you don't understand what I'm saying, it's probably a combination of a lack of sleep and also my, my accent because I'm one of those people uh, from different languages of different countries that uh, we serve in Asia-Pacific. Uh, it's interesting, actually, and I want to thank Mr. Lyons for his, his sermon, sermonette, uh, because we do have many of those, those struggles uh, as far as language barriers uh, and also um, it just, just the manpower to be able to cover uh, 40% of the world's population. Uh, we have billions of people in Asia-Pacific, including China and India, as Mr. Ames mentioned. And it, it is such a diverse region of the world, uh, not only separated by vast oceans, but also culturally uh, separated, um, religiously separated as well. Uh, we have uh, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, Christians, uh, and really every single possible combination in between uh, that we have to work with in countries that really many of them are against Christianity completely, tolerate Christianity and some cases have no understanding of Christianity and, and things that we just take for granted. Uh, so it is a very interesting part of the world to work in, a great privilege uh, that uh, God has given to me to be able to serve uh, as a regional director since uh, 2016 uh, is when I took over that responsibility. Uh, and we are we're certainly growing. We have, uh, of course, as Mr. Uh, Ames said, you know, it's quite a large population, I think, around about the 4 billion, if I get my figures right. Uh, but in terms of membership, we only have just under 2,000 people in that whole region. So very small, very scattered. And uh, Mr. Lyons talked about the things that you can be doing. And I can tell you, as a recipient of your, your cards, your congregational cards, we receive those. And we are so grateful. It, it does mean so much to us. Uh, when we get those cards and you've signed them and we know that, you know, we know that you're here, but to get something physical in that way, something personal uh, in some of those areas that are so isolated where we have to take perhaps a five-hour bus ride, an hour boat ride, and then another hour to walk to the village uh, to get to visit with some of God's people in some of these very remote areas. To get a card from, from you is, is something very special. So please keep it up. Um, yeah, don't, uh, don't feel that they're just going out there and they're not appreciated because they certainly are. But we are experiencing uh, some great growth. Uh, we, we have the privilege at this time to be able to cover uh, with the Tomorrow's World uh, program on television in the Philippines, national coverage, 
and that's going very well. We also have national cover, coverage in Australia, also in New Zealand, uh, but we are facing some uh, challenges in, in some of those areas uh, because we are very much in a time in society that is very antagonistic to God's way of life, and I think you, you're all probably very much aware of, of that. I just want to read to you some of the challenges that we face now in, um, if I can get my uh, phone to work here. Um, bear with me for a second. Some of the challenges were just recently we've been put under a more of a higher level of scrutiny as far as what we can air on television in New Zealand. It just gives you an this will just give you an idea of what sort of criteria now that are being expected of us, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see where this will ultimately lead. One, there's a number of points that we have to uh, be aware of. One of them, and I'll just read this one, it says that the program that we air is not to portray people in a manner which taking into account generally prevailing community standards. So whatever the community standard is, we don't... So the, the, the country of New Zealand and the television industry does not want to um, portray people in a, a manner that is uh, contrary to prevailing standards, is reasonably likely to cause serious or widespread offence on the grounds of their gender. And when I read through this, you'll start to get a feel of where things are heading. On the grounds of their gender, race, colour, ethnic or national origin, on their age, cultural, religious, political or ethnic belief, sexual orientation, marital status, family status, education, a disability, occupational or employment status. And these are all the things that we cannot speak about which go, go against the general prevailing standards. And so I pray tell what, what else is left for us to talk about. Uh, and it's, that's the way it's heading, in, certainly in Australia and uh, in New Zealand. But we are still working towards, we have a commission, we have a job to do, uh, and as long as God opens those doors, we will certainly go through them. Uh, we're certainly grateful that Christ is the head of the church, uh, and he's the one that opens and, and closes doors. But we have a lot of uh, other exciting things that are taking place in the region. We're also establishing... Uh, Living uh, Church of God Foundation in Thailand, uh, and that is uh, certainly something that is going to be very valuable for us and for the work. Uh, ultimately, we hope to have uh, free uh, public education uh, classes, uh, do things for the community. At the moment, we're actually taking rice and clothing to, to schools, uh, to the disadvantaged and poorer school areas and districts. Uh, so we're able to do things like that, and ultimately we want to move into offering some, uh, some other classes to just start to help the community. But as Mr. Lyons said in his sermonette, we, we are severely lacking manpower, certainly in Asia. And uh, an interesting uh, thing happened a few years ago. We, uh, my, my father met a young man in, in the UK uh, who was the grandson of the late Mr. Sole Bay. Uh, he was a minister in Burma, Myanmar, for many, many years. And uh, we've spent the past five or six years trying to get this young man from the UK uh, into, back into uh, Asia so that he can help with the work. And it seemed like every step that we've taken, there's been a, what seems to be a roadblock. 
we need leadership. We need men in, in, that, in that part of the world to, to do the work because we're lacking. And uh, Mr. The grandson, uh, Tuwa Le Bay, he says, he says to me, you know, Mr. Tyler, you know, why are we having all of these obstacles? Maybe, maybe this isn't something God, God wants to happen. And I would often say to Mr. Le Bay, you know, this is God's work. This is God's work. And if he wants us to preach the gospel in Asia, he will make a way. And every time that we face those challenges, a door opens. And a door that we just didn't expect. We're like, whoa, this is amazing. You know, how is it that God is able to open these doors for us? And it's beginning to demonstrate how much this is a work of faith, brethren. It is definitely a work of faith. And every time that we've gone to God with our problems, he's answered. And it's certainly very encouraging. And what I've come to realize is that no matter what we do, we will always be battling Satan. We will always be fighting uh, his attempts to discourage and to derail the work of God. Anywhere on this earth where God's people are, Satan wants to destroy that work. And that is something that we are very familiar with. I'm sure that you're familiar with that here as well. So I want to talk today about how much we need God in our lives, in the work, if we're to conquer our personal and our spiritual battles. We, we are in a battle, brethren. We're in a, we're in a battle. Uh, perhaps we don't often think about it in that context, but it's, it's so true. My title today is Stand Fast, Victory Belongs to God. Stand Fast, Victory Belongs to God. And I say this, brethren, because God's people need to know that we're not on our own. I've talked to a lot of people uh, around the world, really, and it seems as though there are many people in the church of God who are facing various trials, some small, some massive, some enormous trials. And it's hard sometimes when you're facing these kinds of trials and it's easy for us to be discouraged. It's easy for us to think, where is God? But we need to be encouraged. We need to have and to know that we aren't on our own. We need to know how to stand fast and we need to know that victory belongs to God. In spite of what is happening through in the media, in society, in our own personal lives, this is something that God promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. That's a promise. You know, sometimes we, we read those words and we, we sort of, we're encouraged for a moment, but the trial is so big that we sort of get overwhelmed by that and forget the promise. God says he won't leave us or forsake us. Of, of course, you know, we can leave him. I, mean, I think we understand that. But God says, I'll be there with you. I'll take care of you. I'll stand there by your side through the tough times. And we need to be encouraged by that because I know that there are many people who are facing, as I said, some severe trials, whether it be health trials, family trials, financial or or the like. And one thing that trials do is they help us to connect with God, don't they? They help us to connect with God. They help us to recognize, quite frankly, how physically limited we are on our own. We are limited, but 
the incredible thing is that when we include God in the process, we have access to an incredible strength that we can't have any other way. And so we become stronger in effect because we are forced to let God fight our battles for us. And we become a force to be reckoned with in a sense because we have God fighting with us and for us. And that's an exciting and encouraging thing for us to recognize. But we do need to know that we are fighting a battle. Ephesians chapter 6 helps us to recognize really what is happening, who our battle is against. Oftentimes we think our battle is against a physical illness, our battle is against an individual or a corporation or whatever it might be. But where is our battle really? And we need to keep this in our mind when we go through the various things. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. That's where our strength comes from. Right? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We have strength and power through God. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's who we're, that's who we're battling. That's where our fight is. Are we doing all we can to stand against that force, brethren? That's what the instruction is here. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And we need to stand so that we can let God have the victory. But are we doing all we can to stand against Satan and the trials that we face? You know, like any war, there are times of peace in a sense, quiet times when perhaps um, you're not actually engaged in the actual battle. You might have a, a moment of, of uh, re- retreat in a sense. But there are other times when you're in a full frontal attack. And you've got bullets flying over you. You've got bombs going off. That's when you're in the thick of the trial. It seems, brethren, as we are heading towards and closer to the end time, that we're heading more towards a heavy attack. I think God's people need to be preparing themselves for that. It seems like things are happening. Certainly, we're seeing various trials within the body. But we're also seeing incredible things taking place in society like we never have before. Certainly in a Judeo-Christian world, just the hatred that is out there for God and God's way of life. And it seems like we're heading towards something, and so I think we need to be ready. But we also can't assume that God is going to fight that battle for us and perhaps that we don't have to do anything but sit back and say, you know what, God's got this. We have a part to play in that. We have to be preparing ourselves, but we also need to always remember that victory belongs to God. Let's just go to Proverbs 21. Read a a verse here in Proverbs that helps to illustrate this point. Proverbs 21, verse 31. Proverbs 21, verse 31, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. In the uh, Hebrew, this word deliverance can be rendered rescue. 
rescue was from the Lord, help, salvation, or victory. Victory is of the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. That means, you know, in, in ancient times, the horse was, was a, a, a fighting machine. It was like a tank back in the day. And the horse would be trained and would be prepared and would be exposed to perhaps certain noises so it wouldn't get scared and run away. And even though the horse is prepared, its rider is who really ultimately controls that horse is in charge and wins the battle. So the horse has to be prepared. We have to be prepared to face those battles, brethren. But at the end of the day, it's the Lord who gives us the deliverance. It's God who fights the battle for us. And we can be encouraged so much by that. And sometimes those, those battles that we face are very, they're, they're enormous. Sometimes we think there is absolutely no way that we're going to get through it. There's no way. And yet God has given us so many examples in Scripture where odds are against us, and yet God is there. And that's what we have to look at when we do our Bible study, when we're going through things. We need to look at God's Word and be encouraged by it. There's a particular example that I want to just go through quickly. Judges chapter 7. Impossible odds. A battle that was that was to take place. Uh, Joshua was uh, called to perform a very important task. In uh, Judges chapter 7. You probably know the, the story that I'm going to read to you here about, but you know when you when you understand the odds that and the conditions that God puts uh, Joshua in, or uh, sorry, not Joshua, but Gideon, uh, it, it really would make you scratch your head and go, "Has you know, is what's going on? <laughs> this is this is not right." And yet we read here. Uh, about Gideon's Gideon's army, his 300 men against 135,000 man army. Incredible. You know, you look at the percentages. I think it's 450 to one or something like that. It's it's just crazy. And yet we read that God says to Gideon, "I want you to go." You had, earlier on, He says, "You've got too many in your army. We need to thin out the, the numbers a little bit. We're going to reduce it down to 300." Verse 7, And the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who had lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. And so the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and and, uh, retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley, and it happened that same night. I think God here, we're, we're realizing that God could read Gideon's mind and Gideon was probably having some thoughts. Hang on a second. I think God's got his numbers mixed up here. And so God gave encouragement to Gideon. And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise and go down to the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp of Pura, your servant, with, with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what, what he says. And afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And he went down with Pure's servant uh, to the outpost of the armed men 
who were there in the camp. And now the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the people of the east were lying in the valley, as numerous as locusts. And I can imagine that, you know, this, this valley, tents and armies and horses and, you know, this, this mass army. And I'm thinking to myself, Three, 300, mm, that doesn't make sense. And that's how it is sometimes when we have a, a trial or a, or a particular thing in our life that is enormous and we think, how am I going to get through this? How do I get through this? Well, when we read these, these examples, it, it does and can give us great encouragement. And verse 13, when Gideon come there, uh, had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion and he said, I have had a dream and to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned the tent and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel, into his hand. God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was, of course, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And he delivered the 300 men into three companies and put a trumpet into every man's hand and empty pitchers and torches inside. Now, to me, that doesn't make sense either. You would think they'd put, you know, some other sort of, you know, a sword into every man's hand or, uh, you know, a a rocket launcher or some missiles or, you know, uh, some salt rifles or something like that. But all they got is a trumpet and a pitcher with a torch in it. You know, sometimes God allows some amazing things to take place, to teach us a lesson so many times because we we walk by sight. We we look at something, we say it's impossible. But, of course, we know with, with God there's nothing impossible. We know that there's nothing that can withhold God from his purpose. And so these, to illustrate God's power, God gives these 300 fighting men no chance at all against this army with pitchers and a torch and a trumpet. Uh, and then verse 18, when I, when I blow the trumpet, then he, he sort of talks about it a bit more. He says, when I blow the trumpet and all who are with me, uh, then you also shall blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It's God who fights the battles. It's God who has the victory. So Gideon and the hundred men, uh, and the hundred men who were with him, because they divided into three three camps of three hundred. They came out of the camp and began the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpet, broke the pitchers, and held the torches in their left hands and trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. And when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled. And so what happened was there was such great confusion that they turned against themselves. They were in such a panic because they heard the trumpets, they, the pitchers and the lights were flashing, and they thought they were under attack. And so they, anyone they saw, they started attacking, and they were killing their own people. And you read a little bit later on, 
out of 135,000 in the army, 120,000 died. 120,000 died. 15,000 survived. And that 300-man army didn't have to do a thing. Brethren, when we face those things, sometimes it's better to stand back and let God fight our battles for us. And it's very encouraging when we see that take place. And I know that you've probably seen that in your own lives. Today, brethren, we don't necessarily have uh, pitches, trumpets, uh, and the like. But we do have something even more powerful. And that's God's spirit. We have something more powerful that we can hang on to. Uh, We have Jesus Christ living his life and helping us in our own lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, notice a a very uh, encouraging verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Of course, this is talking about victory uh, over death. We often uh, read this in the context of uh, the resurrection. But notice in verse 57 what it says there, Thanks, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's God who gives us the victory, but we are it happens through Jesus Christ living in us. It reminds probably reminds you also of the scripture in Philippians four verse thirteen where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of us have memorized that? And often rehearse that in our minds when we go through things in life. Abraham Lincoln said, without God, I cannot succeed. He said, without God, I cannot succeed. With God, I cannot fail. Incredible from a man who was not called. Certainly understood that God was real in the capacity that he did. And he recognized that God intervenes in life and in situations that are beyond our control. He says, without God, I cannot succeed, but with God, I cannot fail. I hope that we feel that same closeness in our own personal lives as well. But we do go through things in in the area that I look after, Asia Pacific. One of the biggest battles that some of the brethren face is, is really to do with the Sabbath. Uh, being able to keep the Sabbath. Uh, in some, some of the countries, it's a six-day school week, uh, and Saturday is a, is a day of school. So if you li- take your children out of school to keep the Sabbath, you're going to get some persecution. Uh, you, you have, in some other areas, uh, you're not going to, if you can find a job, um, and then you tell them that you can't work on Saturdays, there's another 600 or 1,000 people behind you ready to take that job if you're not prepared to work six or seven days a week. You know, the, the Sabbath is a real test commandment. Uh, in so many places that we work, I, I, I went visiting one, one particular country, and uh, the gentleman who he called me up and he said, would you come and would you, I need to talk to you. And I, I just traveled quite a long distance and I thought you know I'd really like to go to to bed but you know he it was it was good that he called me and so I went to visit him and he said I, I've got the opportunity there's a job opening up in my company uh, but there's pr- really no no chance that I'm going to get it 
I need the money because it's a little bit better pay. But he said, it has, I have to work on Saturdays. What do you think? I went, hmm. <laughs> uh, it's not a tough question. Uh, I said, you know what you need to do? You need to pray about it. Uh, it was The interview was the next day, so he didn't have much time to really uh, do much more than pray about it. I said, if God wants you to have the job, he'll give you the job. And he, he was sort of, mm, okay. I think he sort of had come to the point where he just figured God would not, you know, there, would, there was no way he'd get the job because there was so much competition for it. He couldn't work the Saturday. And I said, go anyway. Go, go to the interview anyway. So we went to the interview the next day, had his interview. Everything was fine. The, the interviewer said nothing. Uh, and then he went home. And later in that week, he calls me up and he says, Mr. Tyler, you wouldn't believe it. I got the job. And I said, really? That's fantastic. What happened? He said, I went in there and they called, they called me in and they said, you've got the job. And then he said, well, why? You know, the, he couldn't believe it. Why would you give it to me? I can't, I can't perform as the, the job description uh, stated. And the company said, well, we know you. We know your character. We know the kind of person that you are and we know that you're the kind of man we want for this job and we'll make it work. And it was an incredible witness to him because in that particular part of the world, uh, they're used to the challenges and the trials and the difficulties that are so common just just to exist. And so he, he was able to glorify God and in that case, God won the battle. And he was a witness to that. And certainly he was very encouraged by it. But Satan will always be there. As we read in Ephesians, it's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. And Satan will always be there to try and get in the way, to try and discourage us, to discourage the work. You know, it seems like there's three or four, perhaps there's more, you can probably list them, but there's three or four main ways that Satan tries to discourage us. And tries to get to us. And the first one is through persecution of society and of governments. We're starting to see that in Australia and New Zealand where, where they're starting to, to, to really clamp down on what, you know, what we're able to say and how we're, we're to function as a people, as a society. Uh, and so the other way is through health, through finance, finances. Satan tends to get at, get at us through those means. Also by sending false Teachers, false ministers, false doctrines, injecting confusion and error into our minds. These are, these are typical of Satan's devices. You know, it's, it's been going on. It's the same for generations. Nothing's new. But we need, to be, we need to be aware of those things. We need to be awake to them. And Christ says, beware of those speaking more about the false teachers and false ministers, and we're finding that as well. There's a lot of, a lot of people getting distracted and pulled away because of false teachers. Now, there was a time when if you had a question, uh, you were doing your Bible study, where would you go? You'd go to the minister. You'd, perhaps you'd call them up or perhaps you'd wait to the Sabbath and you'd say, I need, I've got a question. I was doing some Bible study this week and uh, can you please help me? Well, we don't see that as much anymore. We see people just going to Dr. Google. We see Pastor Google. 
And people are being misled because they're just going out there because there's so many different teachers and preachers and ideas that are spreading around the world. And we read that and we go, oh, that sounds okay. And then we, that's where it ends without going to the, to the ministry. You know, Christ said, beware of those who come to you in sheep's clothing and people who come to you with a, a hidden agenda, people who look good but have another motive or another agenda. And Satan, is he's sneaky because he doesn't come to us as a red pitchfork-wielding dragon. He comes as an angel of light. He comes, he comes with us a message which is smooth and palatable. It's a sick message, but it, it can affect us. You know, you read in Second Corinthians, uh, chapter eleven. Second Corinthians, uh, chapter eleven. It's interesting when we talk about this. We're talking about how Satan can cause discouragement in us. He can cause us to get off the track, and the methods that he uses. We're seeing that more and more today. But in Second Corinthians, chapter eleven, verse four. But if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached. Or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And sadly, I find even people in the church, from time to time, they'll sit and watch you know, Sunday morning uh, um, different pastors on, on a Sunday morning TV channel and it's coming into their home and they're putting up with it. We, we shouldn't be doing that, brethren. Because that's how Satan will get in. He says, if, you, if, if they come with a different spirit or a different gospel, uh, you may well put up with it. It sounds good. It's about love. It's about accepting people and all sorts of things. But underneath is, is, uh, is quite sick. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, we'll just drop down there. For a such a false apostle's Deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Be careful. That's the warning. Be very careful. And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if he has ministers who also transform, uh, transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, those whose end will be according to their works. And so we, we do need to be careful. It reminds me of uh, it reminded me when I when I read that of the the experience that the returning uh, Jews had when they came back to rebuild the temple in Ezra chapter four. Let's just turn there to Ezra chapter four. And we find here that There was a, an appearance of wanting to help the work, wanting to be a part of the work. And yet, it was under a false pretense. And you read here in, in Ezra chapter 4, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity, Ezra 4 and verse 1, were, were building the temple of the Lord, uh, God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel, uh, the heads of the fathers' houses, and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. Let's all do this together. Let's, let's just make this a, one big happy work, one big happy family. Let's all unite and do the work together. Well, it sounds, it sounds good. 
Sounds good. But they, thankfully, it was understood that there was a motive behind that. And we, we are here, uh, we, we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esaradon, the king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the rest of the heads of the fathers of the house of Israel, said to them, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God. And they saw right through them. And we, we need to be spiritually awake to discern those things and the motives that, be, that are behind some of these other Christian religions that are out there, some of these other churches, because they may look like they're trying to be a part of the work, but what's, what's the motivation behind that? And Zerubbabel said, you may do nothing with us to build the house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah and they troubled them in building. They tried to discourage the work. And of course, we're going to be faced more and more with that as we go further towards the end. It's going to be... It's prophetic, brethren. We need to we need to realize that. Verse five: They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. You know, that's sometimes how it feels like. It's frustrating. You know, we want to do the work, and yet these obstacles get put in the way. And we think, oh, we just want to do the work. And Satan's always there, putting an obstacle in the way. Perhaps even in our own spiritual lives, we want to we want to grow spiritually and there's these obstacles that get in the way to distract us and we just want to grow but then these counselors are hired to frustrate their purpose all the days and so we need to be aware of how satan works brethren and no doubt uh, more and more we'll start to see these things uh, speed up satan you know he knows he has a short time now he knows his time is coming to an end and he's going to get more and more stirred up as the weeks and months and, and the years uh, come upon us. We have to make a stand. Brethren, we have two choices to make when we face these things, right? We have two choices to make. The first choice is, as the saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, give in to it. And certainly that's not an option for God's people. It's not an option for us. And the second option, the second choice that we have, it's very reminiscent of Deuteronomy. You know, I said before you, life and death, choose life. The second one is to keep going, to endure the battle, the coming tests and the trials ahead, and be confident of the victory because victory belongs to God. That's what we need to always keep in the back of our minds to help us get through these things. So that's the... That's the choice that we all have to make. We have to make a stand, brethren. There's a story I want to read uh, to you in the scriptures about a man who stood his ground uh, and he defeated his enemy. And uh, it's an example I think we can learn a lot from. His name is Shema, the son of Agi, the Hararite. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Shema is an interesting character. There's not a lot mentioned about him. But... His name actually means waste, a wasteful. And perhaps in the early days of his life, maybe he, maybe he was a little 
foolish with his time and his energies. Maybe he did waste some of his early years. But when we read about him, he actually is one of the mighty men of David. One of the mighty men of King David. And I don't know, maybe, maybe we can relate to this particular man in that sense. Maybe we, we uh, perhaps look at ourselves or our past before we were called and think, oh, yeah, I probably did waste a bit of time. <laughs> I probably wasn't as, as productive in my life as I could have been or should have been. It's interesting when we look at the kind of people that David attracted, you know, when he was on the run, what sort of people did David attract? Well, just before we talk about Shema, let's have a look at the kind of people he attracted. In 1 Samuel uh, 22, and I think I'm encouraged when I read this because uh, it helps me to, to know that I'm not the only one. 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse uh, 2, of course, this is, this is after David uh, escaped on the run from uh, Saul. And verse 2, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented or bitter of soul, you know, they had issues, had problems in life, are gathered to him, gathered to King David. So we have the people that came to him with it, really the weak and the base, the lowly, the ones that have gone through a pretty tough time in life. Uh, they had no, perhaps nowhere else to turn. Everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontent gathered to him, so he became captain over them, and there were 400 men with him. An incredible army of dysfunctional men <laughs> uh, who God used powerfully in spite of their previous circumstances. Perhaps that may ring, resonate in your memories of your life before coming, before God calling you into the truth. So we go to Second Samuel chapter 23, and we find that we can read about one particular one of this group of men. <clears throat> And we find a situation where uh, Shema, we find a situation where the Philistine army is attacking uh, local farmers. And the farmers are obviously afraid, perhaps outnumbered, perhaps don't have the skills to to fight back. Um, And every time the Philistines would come down and raid right at harvest time, uh, the, the people would just leave. They'd leave their homes, leave their crops. Uh, it set them back uh, and it caused them to fall into more and more poverty and distress. But one day, Shema, he, he motivated himself and he stood up to the threat. And you can imagine his mind going, you know what? This is God's land. This is God's property. And who are these people who come in here and, and raid our, uh, our produce and our lands and our crops? Now, he, he motivated himself to stand up to the threat and he realised that these Philistines needed to be stopped. And so while the townspeople were retreating, he stood his ground in the middle of a lentil field. Hope you, everyone, I'm sure everyone likes lentils. But this man whose name was Waste became a man of great courage. He... 
came to the point in his life where he began to recognize that it was God who was behind, obviously, King David, but also that God was behind his people. A man became full of great courage. Maybe you heard, keep your finger in Second Samuel. I'll just take you to Joshua chapter 23. Maybe he had heard the promises that God had given to Joshua. Joshua 23, and I find this helpful in context. Joshua 23 and verse 9, it says, For the Lord has driven out from before you a great and strong nation, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God's backing you, who can stand against you? And Israel, the nation of Israel, who had been in captivity all that time, they weren't a great army. They weren't great warriors. They had God on their side. And that's what we always have to remember. God had driven uh, out from, from you before, from before you, great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. <clears throat> for the Lord your God is he who fights for you. He as he promised you. It's a promise. And so that's encouraging. I wonder if, if here in Second Samuel, if Shema also reminded himself of God's promise that he would fight our battles. So uh, back to Second Samuel uh, chapter 23. We read verse 8 here quickly just to get the context. These are the names of the mighty men of David, uh, men whom David had. And then we just drop down to verse 11 for the particular section I want to draw out. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop uh, where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And so the people fled from the Philistines, <clears throat> but he stationed, Shammah stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it. And killed the Philistines, and so the Lord brought about a great victory. You know, it's it's interesting. Shema was prepared to die for a field of lentils. A field of lentils. He was prepared, you know, it was just him against the Philistine troop. But any fight against Israel is a fight against God. You know, they were attacking God's people. They were attacking God's the land that God had given to Israel. And they were attacking God. Any fight against us, brethren, God's begotten children, that, isn't that not a fight against God? Any fight against or attack against the church, that's a fight against God. And we all have our field of lentils to protect. Every one of us, in whatever manner or capacity or situation, you all have a field of lentils that you have to fight for. And so we, we see here that the victory, although Shema was the individual who God used, it was actually God who had the victory. As we read there uh, in verse 12, where it says, So the Lord brought about a great victory. And so we do. We have our own field of lentils or beans to protect. But are we going to stand up for that? You know, is that field of lentils important enough 
for us to do something about? Will it motivate us? You know, we live in a world that doesn't stand for anything or very little anymore. You know, there's that saying that says a man who stands for nothing will fall for anything. And we, we have a society that doesn't have any grounding or really committed, or convicted anymore about their beliefs. A lot of people are a little take it or leave it, a little really wishy-washy in, in, their, in their approach to things. But God wants us to be courageous and to stand up. And so Shema here helplessly, probably helplessly outnumbered, chose to do the impossible, and he stood and fought. And perhaps Shema wasn't wielding a sword, but he knew that his strength didn't come from him, it came from God, because the victory was from God through his servant Shema. The Apostle Paul says that God calls the weak and the base. Shema was... You know, given that name, Waste, you know, perhaps he was somebody who people took little notice of. But that's, that's who we are. We're the weak and the base who God has called. Out of this world, the lowly, and I know that certainly we can relate to that in many cases, but it's our weakness that makes us stronger. Uh, now, there's a quote that I, I read from a book, Neil Maxwell, It's Service, Not Status That Counts. You know, and sometimes we ask ourselves, why, did, why would God call me? You know, what, what possibly do I have to offer? And you know, sometimes I quite often ask myself that question. But in this, in this book uh, by Neil Maxwell, he says, God doesn't ask about ability. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. That's what God's looking for, availability. Then we prove dependency and then he increases our capacity. So, as he says there, God isn't asking and looking for particular abilities in us. He'll take care of that. He'll provide for that which we lack. He wants to know if we're available. Are we prepared to stand in the gap? Are we prepared to do what it takes? And if we prove dependable, then he will increase our capacity to be able to serve him. And perhaps, brethren, we're not necessarily fighting for a field of beans, but we are still in that battle, as we read in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's just turn there, Ephesians 6. We can't do it on our own strength, brethren. We read there in Ephesians 6 that we had to put on the whole armor of God. And that's what we need to do. Ephesians 6, verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the day, in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and to take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the sword of God. Brethren, are we, are we actively doing that? Are we actively putting on the whole armor of God? Are we actively girding our waist with truth, our breastplate of righteousness, 
our feet protected with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the spirit, the sword of the spirit. And also, as it says there in verse 18, praying always. And oftentimes we talk about prayer, brethren, but is it, is it heartfelt, sincere prayer? Praying always uh, with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so we see here that we have to stand and follow the example of Shammah who stood in that field of lentils and who recognized that God plus you, God plus us together equals victory because without him we can't stand. To illustrate that even more and also to encourage us, Isaiah chapter 40 Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28, we can also read the relationship that God desires to have with us, can certainly encourage us. Isaiah 40 and verse 28, and you know, when I read these words, you know, sometimes, it, you know, it gets, it's inspiring. Isaiah 40, verse 28 says, have you not known? Do do we know God? Do we know who our creator is, who our protector is? Have you not known? Have you not heard? And we've been preached to and we've read the scriptures and we've had sermons after sermons about faith and the confidence that we can have in God and the promises of God. So we can't say no. We've never heard that. I don't know what you're talking about. Of course we do. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. Now, he's there each and every day, every single moment. He knows what we're going through. He knows our struggles and he knows our trials and he knows the obstacles that we face. He's the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. I mean, you wrap your mind around that. Incredible that that is the God who gave us life and breath, who created the heavens and the earth, who has all infinite power and might. He is the one that is there fighting our battles for us. He neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows, brethren. He knows what we what we need. He knows what we don't need. But his understanding is unsearchable. He, he knows the best possible way that the circumstances need to be experienced for our benefit. He gives power to the weak. That's what we read about Shema, one man against the Philistines. We read about Gideon's army, 300 against 135,000 army. They're the weak. He gives strength to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. You know, that's what it feels like sometimes when you're you're going through things 
And then you get on your knees and you pray and you get up and it's just, you, you feel that energy. You feel like the burden and the weight has been removed and it gives you the strength to, to, to live another day, the strength to continue to face those things. But he renews, he waits, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Incredible. Kind of gives you, gives you shivers to know that that's the relationship that God has with his people. And I know that sometimes when things seem at their, their darkest and they're like there's no way out, we often sometimes can lose sight of the big picture. Sometimes it becomes so overwhelming that the big picture gets clouded out, pushed away, and we've got to refocus. Sometimes we've got to stop looking at the physical and start to rely more on God, hand it over to God when we get to a point in our life when we just simply can't do it ourselves. It's challenging, but it's the answer to the problem. 1 Peter chapter 5 helps us to, to know how to deal with these things when they face us. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. And this is what I'm sure you do. This is what I do when I go through certain things in life. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Yeah, we, need, we need to have that humility. That's what God's looking for in his people. Humility helps us to come under God's instruction, helps us to be able to be worked with. God can guide us when we're humble. Now, when we have pride, that makes, us very diff- makes it very difficult to go- for God to guide us because we become self-willed. And so God, as it says in verse 5 there, it says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Well, yeah, it's going to happen perhaps in the physical life. You may, As you get through the trial, as you succeed, God will raise you up. But of course, we know ultimately in the, first, in the resurrection, ultimately we will be raised up under God's hand at that time as well. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him. And that, that to me is a fantastic approach that we should have in life. That approach is something that we need to live by. It's hard sometimes because it means we've got to let go of, let, let, lose control of a situation. You know, when you hand it the responsibility to somebody else, you're no longer in control. But this is what God's saying. Hand, cast your care upon him. Let him deal with it. Let him fight the battles for us. And then we have a certain amount of peace as a result of that. I don't know if you've, if you've, I'm sure you've done that. You know what I'm talking about. But he says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now that is, you know, to, to know that that is what God wants us to do, the relationship that he desires to have with us. It helps us to get through those difficult times. And of course, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, very encouraging 
very encouraging scripture to always keep in mind, brethren, when we go through uh, certain things. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse, uh, verse 13, we, uh, we read here, No temptation has overtaken you except such is as common to man. No, we, we're not the only ones who go through these things. These, these things have been happening in life, whatever your situation is. They'll be common. Somebody else has experienced it as well. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape. There's always you know, light at the end. And that's what you've got to always keep in mind. You'll make a way of escape. Uh, with temptation, there'll always be a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's a promise. Cast your care on God. Let him work it out. Let him take care of the details, and God will make a way of escape. Put him, put him to the test in that, in that sense, and you'll see, and you'll begin to build confidence as God starts to fight your battles for you. you know, just small things, and then you see God intervening, and then it gives you confidence and then you, something else will come up, and then you'll go, "Yep, last time it worked. I'm, I'm going to put it. I'm going to give it to God." And then it'll give you more confidence that He is there, that He will take care of of us. Brethren, Christ did not leave us when He He left His disciples. He says, "I don't leave you defenseless." He left us with a helper, something that we can draw upon. Perhaps, brethren, we could put it in our prayers to draw upon it more fervently and that is God's spirit because that's what we need in this life more than more than anything in, in many respects because it gives us you know as it says in second Timothy chapter one let's just turn there second Timothy chapter one God's spirit is is a power that God has given us at baptism has given us a down payment Part of himself. But uh, in Second Timothy chapter one. And this is this is what the men of old, men and women of of the past drew upon in order to face the things that they faced. You read through the faith chapter. How did those men and women endure those those trials, well, they were close to God. They had God's spirit working with them to help them, in them, to help them through uh, those difficult times. And the God's spirit can make all the difference, but we have to put it to work, brethren. It says here in Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. Now when we receive the Holy Spirit of baptism, yeah, God gives it to us upon repentance. But if we don't do anything with it, it's just going to sit there. It's up to us to stir it up, to, to stoke it, put the billows on it, get it burning and raging. And that's our job. That's the part that we play in that process. And the gift of God, uh, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. God's spirit gives us power, brethren. 
You know, so when you face a trial in life and you have God's spirit and you're drawing upon that, it's incredible what you're able to achieve. It's incredible how you approach those things. All of a sudden, you've got a great confidence that perhaps you didn't have before when you take it to God. It's a spirit of, it's not a spirit of fear. Oh no, what am I going to do? How am I going to? No, it's, it's not that. It's, you know what? This is a trial. This is difficult. I'm going to get through this because I have God's spirit and God is with me. Jesus Christ lives in me. And that's what we have to always draw upon and get stirred up with God's spirit to allow us to defend that field of lentils, whatever that field is in your life. Whatever it is. You know, God says... Jesus Christ says in uh, John chapter 14 about the relationship, the spirit, the power that we have, incredible gift that comes through the relationship of Jesus Christ. Notice what John says in John chapter 14. Or what Christ says. John 14 and verse 12, most assuredly I say to you, John 14 verse 12, most assuredly I say to you, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. We are disciples of Christ. And we follow his example and Christ says, you follow me, you will do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father and that is the process through which then he delivers the Holy Spirit to us and gives us that power that we read in 2 Timothy. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, when we go to God, when we go to Christ, and we ask for his help, for his intervention, it's his power that is working in us and through us. Not for our glory, You know, the battles aren't won so that we can say, hey, look at me. The battles are won so that God can be glorified. He has the glory. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What an incredible promise that is. Now, he's not saying if you ask for a red Maserati that you'll get that. He's saying that as long as you're asking within the will and the context of God's purpose and plan, yes, I will be there. I will deliver you according to God's way and God's law and God's purpose. If we have the mind of Christ, of course we're going to be asking for things which are within that ultimate plan and purpose. But incredible promises here. If you ask anything in my name, so we need to go to God. We need to say, Father, these are my needs. These are my needs. So that you may be glorified, whether it's getting a job husband or a wife or whatever it may be in life not for selfish reasons of course but to glorify God so that we can fulfill God's purpose in us brethren we need to claim these promises and we need to include God in our lives and recognize that we of ourselves are nothing we're just limited weak you know even we read in in Luke uh, chapter 12, it says we're a little flock. We read in Revelation 3 where it says we're a little strength. 
referring to the church, but also us individually. You know, when I travel around many parts of Asia Pacific and the people that I work with are people of little strength, little means, poorly educated in many, in many ways, subsistence farmers, but God has called them opened their mind to the truth and they are incredibly blessed with the knowledge and the understanding of their purpose in life. Wonder, we wonder why God calls the weak and the base. We wonder why the 400 that went to King David was the, the dysfunctional or the weak, the ones who are in debt, to glorify God. To glorify God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 6. And if we sit at home and we meditate and we wonder, Father, why? Why did you call me? It's not so that you can have praise. It's so that God can be glorified. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things. So God hasn't chosen the bright, shining lights of the academic world in many cases. Not chosen the mighty, the noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And when we come to God, we, we, we come to God with that humility, knowing that God makes the difference. It's not us, brethren. It's God. So that no flesh should glory, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption and deliverance and victory. Through Jesus Christ, that it, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Brethren, we can't do this alone. We can't do it on our own. We can't do the work on our own. We can't get through our personal trials and troubles and tribulations on our own. We need God's help. He will fight the battles for you, for us, if we let him. If we let him, that's the key. As Abraham Lincoln said, without God, I cannot succeed. With God, I cannot fail. I hope we can think about that. I hope we can also put that thought into practice in our own minds, in our own life. Similar to what the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Brethren, we are facing some difficult times ahead. And certainly we're seeing that in our part of the world facing many trials, many persecutions, many difficulties in life. We need to have the confidence and be encouraged to know that God is there, that God will not leave us or forsake us, that he will fight our battles for us, just like he did for Shema, for Gideon and his 300-man army. 
And so many other examples when we look to in Scripture where God made the difference. Incredible for us to look at that so we have the courage moving forward and facing those things that God's people will face. So brethren, let's always remember to stand fast for victory belongs to God.